1: morning, I have a fresh word for you. I'd like you to turn to Mark chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I'm going to ask Daniel just to put up a, a video review of major news events that happened throughout 2018, the year in review. Thanks, Daniel. There's some powerful scenes that you would have seen on that video, some disturbing scenes, some scenes where the world feels it was justice, but according to the word of God, it is immoral, but it happened on our watch, and there are atrocities that were committed, and it happened on our watch. And these are things that have happened, it's now history. But as we look forward to 2019, we have an opportunity to do something about what's around us, what is injustice. I want you to know, hopefully I bought you enough time to look at Mark chapter 2, and I'd like you to read with me. If you don't have a Bible, use your phone, just type in Google Mark chapter 2, verse 18 to 22, and let's begin reading. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, "'How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse.'" And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. If you're taking notes today, the, the title of the message is New Wine, New Paradigm. You got that? New Wine, New Paradigm. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Peter, this is before he was ever made an apostle, But they were up in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. They were praying. They were seeking God. They didn't know what the next step was going to be. They faced certain persecution. They lost their leader, and they felt leaderless. They didn't know what else to do, but Jesus said, just wait. Wait in Jerusalem, tarry and pray until the promise is given to you, fire will fall, power will fall upon you. And so they did the very last thing that Jesus commanded them to do, and they stayed in that upper room, and they did not move until something changed, until something shifted and changed. Sometimes we end up giving in to the troubles and the challenges of life when all along God put it in our path because he says, I want you to watch and to pray. For some of you, I want you to fast and pray. You've watched, you've prayed, but you've never fasted before, and you've heard these words tossed around but you haven't got serious enough in fact when the pressure is increases in your life rather than get to your knees and begin to fast along with your prayer some of you don't even pray but you the first thing you do is go to your facebook you've heard me say this before I want to challenge you as your pastor that this is something that you need to understand, that you must leave the, 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 the ways of a child. When you first come into the kingdom, hey, you got permission to do that, all right? I understand. You're still new. You don't know what to do, and so you go do what every other baby will do, and you'll go out and seek some comfort and support, some nurturing from someone else. But when you become mature as a man or a woman of God, you begin to understand that you need to stand on your own feet and stand on the Word of God. Begin to fast and pray and contend. It is warfare, folks. It is tough. And God created that toughness in your life to make you tough. When the going gets tough, my wife said the tough goes shopping. No, the tough get going, baby. Peter the Apostle and all the others, they were waiting in that upper room and they were spending time on their knees, fasting and praying because they did not know what they were going to do next. Some of you understand that scenario. Perhaps you're in that situation in your life now. I don't know what my next step is going to be. So I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray and I will not leave this spot until something changes and something shifts in the heavenly realms. If you agree with me, make some noise. Don't be quiet in your place. The breakthrough happened and the Holy Spirit fell. The Bible says it looked like, in other words, it was actually visual. It was no longer just spiritual. But the spiritual invaded the natural realm and they saw what looked like tongues of fire. They were on fire, these guys, on fire. And they began to speak in a new tongue in that upper room that no one understands. Paul talks about, he says, We utter mysteries. It was not made for man to understand, but they were so powerfully impacted by the Spirit of God, they were led by the Spirit to get away from that room because it's no more time of waiting. It's now time to do, it's time to be. And so they walked down those stairs, and the Bible says they continued speaking in those tongues, but somewhere along the way, it changed from a spirit language that no man could understand because they were praying in tongues. They began speaking in tongues, but it's a different tongues. It's a language of men, and people... Jews from all over the world were descending on this major feast and as they were hearing these guys talking what these guys were speaking in tongues they had no idea what they were saying they were actually speaking in the language of men and people from all around the world Spain and they were coming from Greece and other countries other parts of the world are hearing them speak in their local language with a with, and they sounded like they were born in that city listening to this and they asked the question how is this possible Peter gets up there He begins quoting from the book of Joel chapter 2. This is from Acts chapter 2, quoting Joel chapter 2. And he says that this is what the prophet Joel spoke about, that in the last days God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. I I, I remembered it was uh, several years ago when the Holy Spirit dawned on me. He revealed this to me that it says all flesh. I know you think, oh, yeah, no, it says that. No, no, you don't get it. Not just Christians. It says that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, both the Christians and the non-Christians, the pagans, the heathens, the atheists are going to be speaking by the unction of the Holy Spirit. Just think about that for a minute. Think about it in our world that seems so far apart from God. They've lost, we've lost our way. We have agreed to things that 30 years ago we would have considered them atrocities, killing babies in the womb. We're not talking about full-term abortions. like We're talking about babies that are fully grown in the womb. We are not talking about killing them. And we see the comment from one of the women saying, Oh, finally, it's our right. What about the right of the child to live? We have sacrificed, we embrace one thing, thinking, look how enlightened we are, and sacrifice something else. Some change is good, some change is not good, but we have lost our way. And we need the Holy Spirit like we've never needed before. And there's the Apostle Peter preaching He says that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. He describes it, Joel chapter 2, sons and daughters who prophesy. Young men would see visions. Old men would dream dreams. When you thought that you didn't have a dream left, old men, God is going to give you new dreams, new things for you to do, new ministries. For the young men, it is visions of things to come. He's calling things out that you've not seen before. And he's calling things and showing you perspective that you're living in right now. This spirit outpouring would not just be reserved for the rich, but the Bible says even the Spirit of God would be poured out on servants. They would enjoy the same privilege. There is no exclusion in the kingdom. But for some, that outpouring would be a one-off occasion. But for others, they would enjoy the continual habitation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's going to be a moment, and believe me, it's going to happen. It is a prophetic word that God has written in the Bible in ink. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. There will come a time where there will be such a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People in the streets who don't know Jesus are going to be prophesying. Think about that. Unsaved people, your friends who are atheists, are going to be prophesying by the unction of the Holy Spirit when that great day comes. Some will turn to the Lord as a result of it. Others will harden their heart. But that same spirit that was poured out in that moment will dissipate. But for others, it will remain. That's why the title of this message, New Wine, New Paradigm. For people to be able to retain that Holy Spirit, to not let it go. But when that unction of the Holy Spirit is poured out, that we actually contain it. See, we're talking about wineskins. God is pouring out a new wine and is looking for new wineskins. That's the nature of this passage. God had moved in times past and it wasn't bad because part of that passage later on reads, not that the old wine is bad, some of that old wine is good, but there's a new wine for a new season and a new day. There's a new solution that God has for new problems that you will encounter in 2019. Some of you let the problems roll right all over you in 2018. You're destroyed. You are barely hanging on by a thread. You're saying, thank God 2018 is over. But what if we had actually embraced what the Word of God is telling us, and begin to work through each of those situations so that you can uh, remain standing, having done all to stand, and to look back on that year and say, because God, because of God, I've become more than an overcomer. See, some of you, you are victims of your circumstance. You've become victims. You have been locked into a victim mentality that God never gave you. The Bible says God has called you and made you to be more than overcomers. Did you understand that? You are created to overcome every circumstance and situation that comes your way. There is no situation greater than your God. Therefore, there is no greater situation that you are capable, incapable of handling. You can handle them all. In fact, the Bible tells us God loves you so much, he would never put you in a position that you weren't already set up to overcome. Some of this is revelation. You're going through a hardship. Understand this. God has already designed you to beat it. He would never put you in it until he already gave you the tools and the knowledge to be able to overcome the situation. Here's the thing. We come to Jesus in the situation and what you didn't know was a passage before it. The Bible tells us that Jesus was in the process of gathering his disciples, and he happened to come across tax collectors, and he walks closer to a man called Levi, who would eventually be renamed Matthew, who wrote the book. And he was saying to, to Matthew, he says, come and, or Levi, come and follow me. And if you understand the nature and the context of that day, you'd understand this is, flies outside all convention. Because a rabbi would only pick the best of the best, the smartest of the smart, people with a clean slate, good lineage, perfect people to be able to represent the rabbi. See, those disciples would eventually become exactly like their rabbi. And so when Jesus comes along, he didn't pick the usual suspects, he did not choose the learned, he did not choose the rich. In fact, he picks Fishermen, coarse-hardened, you know, according to what they would think. These are unschooled, ordinary fishermen. But instead, God chooses them, and now the audacity of Jesus to actually choose a tax collector. See, back in that day, the tax collectors would collect the taxes from the people on behalf of the Roman government, it, there were, so these are people, the traitors to their own people, collecting money on behalf of a foreign government to be able to fund, among other things, the, the Roman soldiers that are beating up on them and doing horrible things to them. And they're paying for them, their wages, so they can keep doing this harm to the people. They thought, this is horrible. But on top of that, the tax collectors were also exacting an additional Interest on top of the taxes they were supposed to pay—they were skimming off the top and lining their pockets and living the living life big. They lived in mansions based on the you know from money that was from the backs of people who were hardworking. So they were much hated, and Jesus when he decides to choose Levi, Levi is so impacted and so moved by this invitation that he says, Jesus, I want to throw a party. Can you come to my dinner party? And and the Bible says he invited all his friends. Keep in mind, no one wanted to associate with a tax collector. They were up there labeled as the worst of sinners, murderers, liars, thieves, tax collectors. No one would be their friend except for other tax collectors, and that's what happened. So he invites all his friends, other tax collectors, and their family. He invites and brings Jesus and his disciples, and it happens to fall on a day that was a fasting day. And that's why one of the Pharisees says, hey, 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 what's going on here? He asks him the question, why is it that our disciples, the Pharisee's disciples, and John the Baptist's disciples, some of which are following you, are all fasting But your disciples, Jesus, are not fasting. It's interesting that sometimes there is a hidden question in the question that's being asked. There were implied questions, statements being made. Here's what they're really asking. They said, why are you feasting with sinners? That's really what they're asking. In other words, why are you approving their lifestyle? Why aren't you fasting like the rest of us learned people we've accomplished, we have arrived? Why aren't you doing that and setting an example for sinners to follow? That's the question. Sometimes when we are reaching out to the lost, there's a point where others might construe you have walked across the line, you are now approving their lifestyle. At Live City Church, we, have this, we made it really plain and clear. We want everybody to be able to come to this church. I don't care who it is. There will come a time. The gender fluid will come to our church. I hope that you will love them as much as I will. There will be people who will think differently than you do, and, and they're still on their journey, and they're really, really rough. Will you love them just the way they are? See, God is doing a new thing. That's what this new wine is all about. Instead of fasting with saints, Jesus is saying, how about we feast with sinners? There come a time of fasting, but right now it's the time to feast with the sinners. They're also asking this question, why are you not following the status quo? We've accomplished this over many years. It's a, it works. Why don't you get into line? That's what they're really saying. Here's another implied question. They're saying, Why are you not correcting your disciples? You should know the way. Why are you permitting this to happen? See, what they're really saying is this we noticed the motley crew of people you picked. You picked the rejects that John West rejected, you made them your disciple. Turn to the person next to you and say, I see John West rejected you too. Jesus chooses the rejects. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So if you're thinking that he only chooses perfect people, praise the Lord. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here either. He chooses us just the way you are. And they were having a problem. They were actually making that statement, basically saying, We notice a motley crew you're with, and see, see, we thought this would happen, and you're allowing it to happen under your watch. But Jesus is saying, You're not reading the times and the seasons you're missing the moment. You see, a groom, if the bridegroom, when he's with his party, they feast, they drink, they eat. They're not supposed to fast. There's a time for fasting. There's a time for feasting. He's saying, you don't know the seasons. You're not reading it well. Now is a time for feasting. But there will come a time for fasting. And the challenge Jesus is saying is that this new wine that's coming, I'm trying to show you the real heart of the Father. I'm going to introduce a new covenant, and it's not going to look the same as the old covenant that you're familiar with. And if you're trying to understand the new covenant and try and adapt that to the old covenant, it's like trying to put a new wine into old wineskins. It just doesn't work. You see, old wineskins is a it's like people who, at one point, they were new. New wineskins are skins which has not stretched yet. It has no history. It's pliable. It's able to be changed. Whereas the old wineskins, it's a level of thinking. That's what he's referring to. And, and a condition of a heart where it's been challenged over time. It has grown over time. It has stretched to capacity. It was good. An old wine had filled them. It was good. But eventually... Until, unless something changes, it will harden and it will crack at some point in time. It's interesting that the worst critics of revivals, because there is a coming revival, it will come, but the worst critic of revivals are the ones that have experienced a previous revival. It's because they're trying to understand the new revival based on the revival they experience, but God is constantly moving and changing. In the Bible, Jesus healed many blind people, but he never healed them the same way twice. Sometimes he would lay hands on them. Sometimes he might speak a word. Other times, pity the poor person, he spat in the ground and made mud and put it in their eyes. I know which one I'd prefer. Lord, just your word would do. (laughs) You don't need to spit in the ground and put mud in my eyes. Mud spittle. The problem with the previous revivals is that they failed. They didn't continue. It was a move of God and God moved and they stayed. That's the old wineskin with the old wine. But God is moving in a new season. I was aware of the fact that since the Jesus movement, it is a whole generation since then. Let me say, the world was going downhill back then. drugs, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll was a big thing. I remember, I couldn't remember this guy's name. He was a PhD, many degrees, very learned man. He talked about seven epics of time in, ch- in church history. And he talks about how, the, for example, World War I. These are people who came from a, a Bible background. They worshiped the Lord. But when these soldiers were sent to war, they, would, they, they didn't know when they were going to die the next minute. And they were living among the Europeans who were quite lax and loose with their morals. And so they're sleeping around. They're getting drunk. And by the time they came back, and of course with all the atrocities of war, uh, there was books written, uh, The End of the Age of Innocence. America wasn't innocent anymore. Now they're wise into the world, and the soldiers brought that back with them. Fast forward to 1968, the year I was born. It was, uh, most sociologists would agree, it was the most pivotal time in history. The birth control pill was invented in 1967 and was out for mass production and then of course drugs LSD you name it was fully out there. So by 1968 sex drugs rock and roll and it was in that time period that God brought a major revival called the Jesus movement. Some of you might have been old enough to to have been there then. I wasn't by the way. I'm the next generation. And it's time for another revival. God was saving hippies off the street. Just crazy kind of stories of God would show up. Miracles, healings, signs, wonders. God was speaking. And it was nothing that they were doing differently. God just sovereignly moved. And I don't want to miss that moment when the Holy Spirit falls. I don't want to miss that new wine. Jesus is saying, I'm doing a new thing. Peter prophesied it all those years ago. This new wine constantly being poured out, but we're not able to contain it because we're the old wineskins. And those old wineskins are splitting. I was recent, uh, a couple days ago reading an article on the demise of Sears. Sears is a major company in the United States, and the title of the article is, Can Meyer Learn from Sears Demise? Because Meyer is going downhill, this major institution in Australia. Sears was invented by, uh, well, it was first started by a guy called, I don't know his first name, but his last name was Sears. And he, uh, a, a, a merchant had all this excess stock of watches he didn't he want to get rid of, so Sears ended up buying it from the guy and selling it. He thought, there's some money in this. And then he began buying more watches and selling, doing really well. He began creating a catalog so people can order the one they want and pick it. And he's mailing them out. He's sending them out. And remember, these are the days before the internet. His business grew rapidly. He went into con- uh, into partnership with a guy called, last name Roebuck, who was a watchmaker, and began creating new watches and new designs, and again, c- printing these catalogs. Well, they began expanding the business and making so much money. They began selling jeans, articles of clothing, all kinds of things. And no longer was a catalog just about watches or a tiny thing. It is now a book. that they, w- they would send every year to people in all the households across America. So again, before the internet, you didn't have to go into a store. You just looked at your Sears catalog, uh, you had the numbers, and you'd place your order. And you can send or you can send Send your checks in and make your payment. So before the days of the internet, this was a highly effective method. They made millions in the 80s. They built the Sears Tower. At that point, the largest tower in America. They were so successful. But then came the internet. Amazon came up with this new idea. Jeff Bezos, who is now a billionaire, richest man in the world. And he was able to bring together merchants. He's not actually selling anything, at least not back in that day. It was, it was like an eBay, but it just, just exploded, the promise guarantee. If you order by this time in the morning, it will be at your doorstep before the end of the day. Incredible promises that he kept and developed the business. Meanwhile, Sears got rid of their catalogs. They're hoping to utilize some of that Internet, but they didn't do it well. They didn't stay on top of the technology. This gentleman that wrote about 1968, the seven epics of time in in church history, saying in 1968, the world had changed, but it took the church 10 years to catch up with the way that the world had changed. They didn't understand. They're wondering why they're losing people. I want to say that unless we understand our culture, unless we understand how to connect with people, we're going to miss out on the harvest that God has for us. We're going to miss out on a major revival. I'm not just speaking to us, I'm speaking to the church. I read this book as I was reading it, as I was researching, and it was an interesting article. I knew nothing about how to ferment wine in wineskins, or how the wineskins work. And I took five key notes on why they would choose to use wineskins to ferment the wine. If you're taking notes, here they are. The first reason why they would use the wineskins is because of pliability. You see, they actually had other objects they could have used, clay pots. They could have fermented them in the clay pots. But they wanted the wine skins, because what happens is, when, as part of the fermentation process, I had to take notes on this to understand it, the the resulting gas that's produced is carbon dioxide. What happens is, the the pots would crack if you tried to keep it contained airtight. But the skins would expand like a balloon. So that's why they had to be able to stretch from what it was to something much larger while that, while that thing is cooking. And it's interesting when you start to understand this, the reason that Jesus picked the the disciples he chose instead of the normal guys is that the heads were so full already to capacity. They were the old wineskin. They were unable to take the new stuff that Jesus was teaching them. He needed to start from scratch and understand, hey, there's new ways of doing things that I want to show you, new ways of reaching people. The grace of God is something that the old wineskin did not understand. And I'm going to show you what it looks like. Because that same grace I'm going to show other people, I'm showing you right now. You were the rejects, but you are now the chosen. You are not perfect already, but I'm going to make you ready, Jesus said. Here's the second reason why they use wineskins. They actually use goat skins or sometimes oxen skin. It's because of mobility. It was good for transportation because if you had hard objects as they're moving on that camels, the things would clang together and break. So they realized if we use wineskin, it's soft, it's pliable, it's easy for moving. And in the same way, it's interesting that God chose when he built his tabernacle, the first temple, he did that while the people of Israel were still in the desert. And guess what he used for the walls of this tabernacle? Goat skin. The very thing that they use for wine. Isn't it interesting that wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit? And that we're speaking of wineskins and new wine. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6:19, don't you know that your body is a temple, a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? The reason we're sharing this message, I feel the Holy Spirit saying, I don't think we've understood where the wineskin. And then you can change. You don't have to be old wineskins. You can be new wineskins. But you've got to come like a little child. You've got to come humble and say, God, what is it that you want to show me today? His reason number three why they use wineskins is because the wineskins protected the wine. It was airtight. And it could exclude and keep out light. And it could keep out Oxygen, because wine, and this is quote-unquote, in prolonged contact with oxygen will oxidize and spoil, and winemakers seek to exclude air. So they wanted to make it airtight. You know, there's got to be, we need to understand this principle. There are some things that you need to keep out of your life because it's damaging that wine. It's damaging your faith, but you're allowing these things to come into your life. You're an open book. You're saying, I'm going to take it all in because the rest of the world does. I will do too. Or maybe you saw another Christian who, who makes some compromising decisions, and you think, hey, if it's okay for them, it's good for me. Don't do that. Protect the wine. You are a new wineskin. It's your job to protect the wine. Here's number four. But, and again, quote, unquote, potassium hydrogen tartrate is less soluble and precipitates out to form small crystals the size of a sand of grain. In ancient wines, the grainy sediment would have accumulated in the bottom of that wineskin. And when pouring, such crystals might cling to the inside of a wineskin, but not so to something that was clear. So there's a reason for the wineskin. It was actually filtering out, filtering out rubbish. See, As we walk into 2019, understand there's a new wine that God is pouring out for you for a new day. You've got new challenges in 2019. I'm not going to say it's all rosy. God never promised that. You might, praise God. But you will also have your fair share of challenges. To be able to adapt to that, you need to be a new wineskin. And one of the things you need to do, again, a lot of times we're saying, oh, that's a passage. Someone needs to help me out. Someone needs to speak to me. And God's saying, no, you are the wineskin. It's your responsibility to filter out the rubbish. It's your responsibility to protect that wine. How do you filter it out? What are we talking about? Remove the rubbish that pollutes you. There are some friendships that you know are toxic. They talk about, it might even be in church. You talk about other people like it's okay. It's not okay in the kingdom. It's called gossip. It's a sin against the Lord. Undermining leadership. Or you might be talking with other friends that are just doing you damage. They're tempting you in ways that you just wished, you know, you knew you were newly made in God, in Christ, and it's time to walk a new walk, but you keep being attracted because of that friendship. It's time to remove the bad friendships. For some of you, it's bad habits that you continue. It's addictions. You might be addicted to Netflix. It's taking time away from the Lord. You might be addicted to porn. It's your quiet sin that you don't tell anybody, but the Lord knows. It's it's obvious to Him. He can see you in the darkness just as well as He can see you in the day. You're not hiding anything from the Lord. For some of you, those secret relationships that you're trying to culture, you're trying to develop, you're trying to nurture, don't do it. It's time to break those things that are destroying your faith. It's eroding your faith. Filter out the rubbish. And finally, the reason they used wineskins was because there was less agitation. Wine suffers from shock if agitated. The subtle and volatile esters, I can't even make this stuff up, become detached from the longer molecule chains if too much energy is applied from light, heat, or motion. After a journey, wine needs to settle to allow these esters to reattach before they escape into the air. Wine crashes against a hard surface with more force than a soft-sided vessel. So skins may reduce agitation. I want you to know you're going to be agitated in life. The busyness of life has a way of agitating you placing demands on you that will, that will try to take your time away from God, to try and take time away from spiritual matters. It happens every year, but we don't realize it's taking you away from the new things that God has for you. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that God has a great destiny in store for you. And some of you have been wondering, ah, it's just talk, just the pastor saying that. No, it's because you you refuse to become a new wineskin. Because the moment you begin shifting and changing your heart and your mindset, the Lord will begin giving you ideas, strategies, new ways of doing things that are not just for ministry, by the way, but will affect you in business and in life. When you feel dried up spiritually it's probably because your wineskin has become old. Why don't we stand on our feet as I close? Let's just say, for example, that our spiritual bodies are like wineskin. If we are not living lives led by the Spirit, we are like that unused wineskin. Over time, we allow all of life's troubles to beat, on us and dry up everything that was once joy. Some of you have lost the joy in your life, the joy in your Christian walk. Can I challenge you today that perhaps it's because you've become a dry wineskin. You are an old wineskin, cracked and unable to contain any new wine. It's going to leak out anyway. Today I feel the Lord wants to do a work in your heart. Can I invite you to close your eyes one more time today? The problem with the dried wineskin, the old wineskin, is that we go to church expecting the church to fix the problem when sometimes it simply can't be done. If you're waiting for new wine, it's being poured out, folks. There's new wine every week, and some of you are missing it because that wineskin needs to be patched. It's interesting, I was reading a bit deeper into the word. The Bible tells us that if you look in the original Greek words, when Jesus said, neither do men put new wine into old bottles, and goes on saying, but they put new wine into New bottles, it's actually two different words. The new wine is exactly what you think it is. The word neos meaning new. But the new wineskin was actually a different Greek word used. It was the word kainos, which means reconditioned or renewed. In other words, old wineskins can be renewed. And the process for doing that they would take that dry, brittle wineskin and soak it in water until it takes on that that, that liquid inside of it and becomes soft again. And while it's drying, they would smear oil all over that wineskin until it becomes soft and supple once again. So the water and the oil symbolize the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants to move in your life fresh and new again. So I look around the room today, some of you are dry. You've dried in your walk. You've lost your joy. There's no longer a joy in your step in serving the Lord. For some of you, you are trudging the walk of a man or a woman who is lost, and you're just going through the motions. God is saying it's time for a new wine, but God wants to change you into a new wineskin. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord this morning. I do this every week because I know that our our situations in life change and guests also come into the house. I want to give everyone an opportunity to respond to the Lord, to do a new work. Perhaps this is the first time that you have understood the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that a loving God who made you has a plan and purpose for your life that is so great it would amaze you and blow your mind. For others, you've made a decision before, but today you find yourself a dry wineskin. You don't have that joy anymore, but today you realize, I want it back, because you can have it if you want it. If that's you, and I will not embarrass anyone, on the count of three, One, two, three. Would you raise your hand right where you're at so I can see it? Raise your hand right where you're standing so I can pray with you. This is your time with the Lord saying, I surrender. I want to be a renewed wineskin. I I don't want to miss out on the new wine. Is that you? Is that you? Right where you're at on the count of three. I'll just give you one more opportunity. Are you ready? Raise your hand so I can pray with you. Three. Just three more seconds. Three. Looking around the room. Two. Is that you? Don't miss out. One. For the sake of the one brave soul this morning, I want the whole church to repeat this prayer after me. It's a prayer of recommitment. It's going to start you on your journey. Can you pray with me, church, together? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I love your presence, and I love you. Thank you for saving me. You dealt with my sin on the cross 2,000 years ago so that I don't have to live with my sin. I'm asking you now, Jesus, forgive me. Remove my sin and my guilt, and give me your spirit. I ask for a fresh start now. You died for me, now I will live for you. Amen. Now, church, I want to encourage you. God's got new strategies for you for, new, for next year. It's exciting things. The Bible says those who live by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, are the sons of God. But you can't do that while you're an old wineskin. It's time to change. I hope that when you said that prayer, you might have meant it for yourself. God bless you. Have a great week, and Happy New Year, everyone.
0: Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at livecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at livecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Live City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to livecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.